Problem Gambling podcast is proudly sponsored by Gamban, the simple and effective way to block access to online gambling on all your devices. If willpower slips, Gamban doesn't. Go to gamban.com to find out more. If you would like to support this podcast, as well as our frontline treatment, prevention and helpline services, please consider donating €5 Euros per month using the link in the episode description. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to the Problem Gambling Podcast. I'm Barry Grant, an addiction counsellor with Extern Problem Gambling. Uh, my co-host is Tony O'Reilly, also an addiction counsellor with the project and the co-author of Tony 10. And today we have a brilliant guest. Uh, you might know him as Rory Stories, real name Rory O'Connor, stand-up comedian, hundreds of thousands of followers across social media platforms. He's onto his third book at this stage, uh, and this one is autobiographical called Rory's Story, uh, in which, among other things, Rory talks about his, his lived experience of a, of a gambling problem. Uh, Tony's had the chance to read the book over the weekend. He said he couldn't put it down. So Tony will be firing all the questions at Rory today, and I'll be sitting back and listening in. So Tony, jump in there and welcome, Rory. Thanks a million for coming on. We really appreciate it. No, pleasure, lads. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah thanks a million for coming on, Rory. As I said, yeah, I read the book over the weekend, and I suppose I probably read the majority of it yesterday. And like Barry said, I couldn't put it down. And as we were saying just before we got on there, it was like you were taught, you were sitting on the couch beside me. Um, like I was only out for a walk earlier on. I was just thinking, do you know what, to spend the... The weekend with Rory and I'm going to be chatting today so I was really looking forward to um chatting today and I suppose my first experience of Rory's stories would have been when you done the um Carlo um one after we beat Kildare I think um and uh, that, like I'd never heard of Rory's stories before that and I remember just thinking you know geez he's after getting that bang on and I know that you when I was reading the book there's a lot of GA and <clears throat> kind of oriented stuff but I think I think and we probably touch on it later on the role that GA has played in your life and your recovery. And probably I think you, you used the word that it's been your anchor throughout your life. And um, so we'll probably touch on that today. Um, so, yeah, thanks a million for coming on again. And maybe just to kick it off, um, I suppose the bit I really kind of when I was reading the book and, and it really resonated with me in different kind of ways is that like the early days in school, the, the feeling of not fitting in or feeling of not being good enough. And I think daydreaming in class as well. So maybe just might just probably just tell us a little bit about that, your early days in school. Yeah, so um, I suppose school for me, um, I, I described, I think, the, the first uh, line in the second chapter in the book is school. It felt like a prison for me, like um, just... Just didn't fit in, Tony. You know, I, I I remember like the teacher be writing on the blackboard, and I'd be struggling to keep up with the teacher. And I kind of accepted at an early age that I was stupid, like, and and unfortunately that's the way it was. A guy went to school in the nineties, like, and like it only got worse as it went back to the eighties and seventies and sixties, gone by our parents. Like, you know, it was it was another level again. But even in the nineties, it was still fairly raw. Like, it was either you're you're smart or you're dumb, and that's the end of it. And there was no you know, knowing if you weren't good in school, you were, you were basically felt like you were going to be out sweeping the roads and doing whatever, and you're never going to aspire to your dreams or whatever. And that's that's how I felt in school. I was, as as in the book, I was abnormally big for my age in school. So I stood out from the crowd anyway. And that's great when it comes to sports, sports day, etc. But when it comes to the classroom, you know, the teacher make me stand up and I'd be turning over everyone and ask me to read and I'd be struggling to read and 
it was just it was just not a nice experience like so i i spoke very honest in the book about that about um about my struggles in school but no one would have really like young lads never talked to each other about that we laugh ever and off like it's kind of the way we were reared or whatever but certainly for me um i didn't get i i got very very little out of school like i i even now i have to pull aside my dad or my my wife or my one of my good friends and ask a very simple question that i'd never ask online or anything like that because i just look like an age it's just like so i never learned it because you can't learn too much when you're standing outside the classroom and even now with my spelling like when i'm tweeting or putting up stuff on facebook i have to get someone to proofread it for me because I can't really spell like do you want to come in i'm getting i'm just teaming myself up for abuse by not being able to spell but um yeah so yeah it's overall tony just a lot of bad memories from from school unfortunately you know yeah and it brought me right back to my early days as well and i suppose my experience in the classroom of maybe for different reasons not fitting in and always kind of felt um probably that I suppose i was on the peripheral of different groups felt kind of i wouldn't say as much introvert but definitely felt different to other people as well but also what you're saying you know there were people within the class who were the kind of inverted commas troublemakers um you know like they were seen as that by the teachers always told to go outside the door always told to um did never amount to anything and it's gas like when i was thinking about over the weekend i know that four or five of these and four or five of these lads who would have been seen that way have been hugely i mean hugely successful in their lives and different things they just found a different path to it and that's the bit i really found from the book that you know, if you have that dream or if you have that drive or that passion, you know, school doesn't necessarily have to be the way to get there. And I think that's what was definitely kind of really um, beaten into us as such as a thing that you, you have to go to school, you have to do this, or if not, you are going to be that person of sweeping the roads. Not that that would be a bad thing anyway. No, exactly. Yeah, that Fear style type thing is really driven in. Yeah, but like, like yeah, again, it's very difficult to, to name a job that, oh my God, I can't do that because... I have a good friend who works for Dublin County, County Council, earns good money and does a good job. So it, it's I'm not stigmatizing any job. It's just oh, I like yeah, do you know what I mean? It's you could say stacking shelves in Tesco, you could say whatever. Yeah. Like it's just people that it, jobs that people might frown upon is, is what we're trying to say. So but like, yeah, they don't get me wrong, like I was a messer in school, but like I wasn't a bad egg, like do you know what I mean? I, I was I suppose opposite to introvert. I was outgoing and I was, you know, I had this big, large and light kind of personality. I was just always and 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 that's what got me in trouble a lot in school was that kind of mad attitude where I have a very bad attention span. So when I'm sitting in the classroom, I get bored straight away and then I'd look around looking for other lads to mischief with, and then we'd all get kicked out of the class and we'd spend the day out in the hall as i described in the book so it's 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 like you said it's that that chapter in the book educate deliberate is is probably definitely top two or three most powerful chapters i feel in the book and i genuinely hope that the the majority of school teachers read that chapter over time because they need to understand how important that they have influence they have on on young people like to, to young people's confidence like they really have to understand that because a lot of people my age I spoke to blame blame school for mental health issues, you know what I mean? And and stuff like that and, and self self-doubt, you know. So teachers, I do I do believe from speaking to teachers going to a lot of schools in the last couple of years that they are changing a bit. Like they're not they're not like get out of class, like them days are gone. You go to a, an SMA or you go to a remedial teacher, whoever it may be, but certainly 
unfortunately, our generation only we 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 just we have to learn from it. But it, it, I just don't want it to happen to our kids when they hit that age. Or like my my daughter is very good in school. Well, I'd, I'd like to think she is. She'd be completely different to me. She'd be reserved enough. But like I have a young lad coming along and he's a bit out there and I don't want him to feel how low as I did when I was in school if I didn't understand what the teacher was saying. And that's the main reason behind the book is for me to tell my story that our generation read it and go, fucking hell, like that sounds like he's telling, like the amount of people text me, mess with Rory, it's as if you were telling my school story right there. You know what I mean? Relatable, like. Yeah, totally agree. And like I relate to so much of that part of the book as well. And I would agree it is one of the many powerful chapters in it. And also like my daughter is around the same age as your daughter as well, a couple of years older. And like the, what she's kind of coming back with, there are changes, I think. But back then, like I think, like you talk about mental health, but I also think the teachers probably were, were probably not in a great space. So they were taking out their kind of frustrations out in the class. And, like you know, I remember ducking a few times from a duster. I remember, you know, being chased around the classroom with a double um, a double ruler taped together. Yeah. Tell me your father's phone number and working. I'd kind of scream and I don't know. It. And these are and that was the norm back then. But I think it has yeah. changed. But it, did, it definitely, for someone who went to school in the 80s, it definitely did really resonate a lot. And then just to move on, I suppose, then the, the GA played a huge part then in your, <clears throat> excuse me, in your feeling of your, um, that sense of connection to something. So you you said that, you, you know, you're very, you know, you, you spoke in the book about struggling within the, the classroom, but definitely the GA, uh, the GA and the matches and uh, the kind of how the involvement with the school football teams really gave you that release or that something. Yeah, like um, in primary school, unfortunately, the teacher we had didn't set up a GA team. We just might have played a bit of football once every fortnight or every three weeks up in the backfield, as you call it. And, and I was in my element then, like again, because like I said, I was that bit bigger than everyone else and I'm strong. And I, 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 I just, I felt, I, I felt like, you know, like some of them must feel in the classroom. You know what I mean? When they're doing maths and sums, it comes easy to me. This was coming easy to me. So, when I went into secondary school, I, I was on the senior team in second year, like playing centre forward because I'm so big from the age. And and, and I just loved it. Like I, I was playing senior football, junior football, golf. I even went playing a bit of soccer. And now I would be the worst soccer player you could possibly imagine. Like I fucking two left feet and be awkward. Like, but I, any, anything to get out of the classroom, like, you know. And I think teachers were happy enough with that because they knew if Rory's gone, it would probably get more done because of my bubbly attitude and constantly having the crack and telling yarn. So I, I, I soon realized that like that's all I really look forward to was, was mainly Wednesdays was when we played football in the school. We might play against another school in the afternoon. And that's that's what I live for. I couldn't wait for 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 like or the bell to go at 12 o'clock and right, let's go tug out and go play a match. And then I just felt in my own again. And then sure. Thursday morning back into school, which you know just wasn't for me. Just genuinely wasn't for me. School, like, and yeah, and like I think part of the book then there was it really touched on a couple of really big role models throughout even your school days. And would Joe Gibney been one? In yeah, yeah, yeah. So Joe Gibney would have been my um, my original football manager. He's still there yeah. now. Like he, anyone in Ashburn, he, you know yourself. Every school has legendary teachers that we all know. Well, Joe Gibney will be the one in Ashburn. Like, if you went to Ashburn school, you know who Joe Gibney was. He was this just character. Like, he really was. He's from North Mead, real, real thick kind of GA man. But he very straight down the middle. And again, he, he, he was my my football teacher all the way up. And 
you know, when I got kicked out of class, I'd often go to his room and I'd sit in the back of his class and he just made me feel a bit more normal, like, you know, and he, the, the year that I was, uh, made me a minor captain in 2005, I was still in school in sixth year and he made them get a, a photograph of me and put it up in the school and I would have been considered a bit of a blackguard in the school, like, you know, in first, second and third year, like, until kind of teachers got to know that Jesus, he's not actually a bad egg, he's just a bit wired, like, and, and like, I always remember that. And it, it's funny, like, the second book that I wrote there in 2018, I actually rang Joe Gibney and asked him to launch it for me because it just felt right because he was one of the teachers that got me back in school. And I'm forever grateful now. And, like, you know, and I always will be. And he was one of the first people I sent the book to when this, when this was written. Like, and he even, he texted me back and said, that chapter about education should be read by every single school teacher. He's told me that himself in the last few weeks. So... Yeah, he's just again. It, he's my my Joe Gibney, but every mad lunatic has a Joe Gibney in their school. That that kind of put the arm around him a bit. Like, no, don't get me wrong. But when we played against Clare in the minor championship, I didn't play well that day, and he fucking et me over. You know, the first thing Monday morning, he called me and go, "Jesus Christ, why didn't you win this ball or whatever?" You know, but yeah, no, he's he's a real hero of mine. So he is like. But it would have been a different type of criticism from him because there was that respect between the two. He that really yeah. shone in the book. Yeah. Another thing that really this was the one that kind of really resonated me more because I think it was the thing that maybe saw the seed for Rory stories down the line would have been Caroline Matthews and yeah. how she used to kind of deal with, as you said, your maybe your hyperness within the class. She used to kind of nearly embrace it and and kind of maybe I think I de definitely for me that was kind of the that was the first time that Rory stories was kind of alluded to in the book. And that was, I thought that was really good because it did remind me of, um, there was a teacher in our school, in our secondary school, I won't name, but um, I met him after my own book came out and, um, you know, he made contact with me. He sent a letter to, it, you know, the good postal system in Ireland. Yeah. It, it, the letter found its way through my old address back to my dad's and back to, up to, to me in Waterford. And we met up and he was always talking to me about them being the daydreamer in the back of class, but he always knew that, you know, I'd, I'd get on well in life. Um, I just took a bit of a detour along the way. But um, but I remember there was two of my friends were kind of um, wanted to, to go and do acting in Trinity, but the actual um, auditions for it were on a school day and they couldn't get the time off work. Or there was something or off school, there was something about it. And I remember he covered for them in the afternoon for them to kind of go on the Mitch to Dublin to do this this um, audition and I always thought it was it was so kind of out there to what you would expect from a teacher and it showed that kind of thinking outside the box that you really described how Caroline did I suppose in your story yeah um it's funny you just triggered something in my head there about someone getting your back um I'm, I'm sure you're, you're well aware of the film Mrs Delfire um with Robin Williams and like Robin Williams would have been one of my idols as he was for many people but there's a great thing on YouTube of the cast now talking about the film, like, um, um, but a really powerful part of the talk is the young girl who plays Nadia, I think, in his daughter, the, the eldest daughter, not the not the little Matilda one, we'll call her, the the elder daughter. She she was saying that they were talking with Robin Williams and they saying about he was he just such a heart to go and said one story is um she missed she was going to really um posh school um somewhere in america and she'd missed three or four weeks in this school because of the filming and the the principal wrote a letter to her or uh yeah got in contact letter and said listen unfortunately we were going to have to um in nice words kick you out of school because you've missed too much and i'm sorry about that blah 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 
But then Robin Williams write this big, big letter back to the principal bank saying that this girl is a unique star and please, blah, 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 etc. Until this day, that letter is sitting up in the principal's office in the school and of course your one wasn't uh, expelled or wasn't... Well, expelled is probably the wrong word, but you know what I mean? She wasn't let, let go of the school. So it's just an example of, as you said, just one person getting your back like... Um, but but with that, for me, as I said, Caroline Matthews, yeah, like my memory, like, so I don't LCA, which is the Leaving Cert Applied, there's a bit of a stigma around it, like, you know, oh, less, like we had like, we had a lot of characters, I'll, I'll call them in inverted commas in my class, like a few, a few headbangers and a few this, that and the other, but Caroline kind of let us be ourselves. And every Friday, as I said, around two o'clock when we weren't doing any more work, we probably never done any work anyway, but we definitely weren't doing any in the afternoon. But Caroline, like, right, Rory, go on, you big age, you can be yourself, get up there and, and tell us a few stories and sing a few songs. So there was about 15 in our class, and I spent most Friday afternoons telling stories or singing songs. And and you hit the nail on the head. It was the beginning of Rory's stories. But from that age, which was 17, 18, until the age of 26, when I had my kind of breakdown, I never thought that it that was possible to do what I do, like, you know, now. Um, because, again we're not really encouraged to do the extraordinary in Ireland. Like, like you nailed at the start, it's like go to school, go to college, get a pensionable job, you know, get a mortgage, have a few pints and then die and then move on to the next generation. And it, it, unfortunately it is the way Ireland is. And I kind of, my passion is to is break that mold. Like, and I think you can, it, that's very obvious in the book that I want young people to read this. So the 17 or 18 year old, Rory or Tony in school today, Reed's going, oh, fuck, Jesus, maybe I will give this a lash, whether it be whatever they, if their passion is. But again, like you said, Tony, going back to the importance of teachers, Caroline giving me that my own platform in school, which no one else did. Everyone was just kicking me out of class, thought I was a waster and amount to nothing. But Caroline seeing a bit of potential in me, like, and she always says it when she calls me back for, for talks in the school that, you know, I remember Rory and I always knew that Rory would, would find his way eventually. And thankfully she was right, you know. It's very surreal. I was back doing a talk in one of the schools, my, one of my old schools, I think secondary school a while ago. It's very surreal walking back into the school as someone who's coming in to, to probably show that vulnerable side or, or talk mm. about it health and and i know for me it was a, it was a huge honor but a huge buzz as well and i um part of me was a little bit fearful of it as well going back in and being judged like you know because i suppose our stories are slightly different um as well but there, there are the same undercurrents mental health addiction but something i think um i think it was it's something that i i'm very proud of being able to do go back into the schools especially the ones that the one that i was in because it shows like like I felt I was a nobody going through school, and I felt I, like, I, as you said, I'd be the person with the, um, you know, the, the, the semi-detached house, the the job, it, you know, the pensionable job, the yeah. few and whatever that looks like. But I think like, and that's like, I regret a lot of my actions in the past, of course. Like, but but I think that it's a, it's after giving me a second chance at a new life, and I think being able to go in and talk about that and how you can come through adverse adversity and become the person that you probably you know, you were probably destined to be or, or the best version of yourself. But, like, you know, unfortunately, like in both our cases, you had to go through a lot of probably dark days, a lot of um, really tough times to get there. Um, and like I always say, I think I said in an interview once, and I think it was quoted, that, you know, I've never been in a better place. It being in recovery and, and kind of doing what I'm doing, I really enjoy it. I'm, you know, I'm in a new relationship. I have my 
daughter is very much a big part of my life, but I always say it's a pity I had to go through hell and back to get there. But I think that's part of it as well. I think to be able to tell people or show people that you, you, know, you don't have to fit the mold as whatever age you are, you can still follow your dreams and you can still become the person that you were destined to be. And I think that's what I got a lot from from reading the book as well over the weekend. Yeah, no, you nail on the head, like you took the words out of my mouth. It, it's um, like, like I think, you know, you, you, you have to kind of fuck up in a way to, to realize certain things about yourself, like, you know, and and everybody's human, like, you know what I mean? Like, I, at this moment in time, like, yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm happy, really happy. Like, I have a lovely wife that I've been with since I was 18. Uh, I genuinely love her. We get on great with each other. Um, my my daughter's great. My son is great. I have a young lad, young, we'll say, girl, boy, don't know yet on the way. Um, and I have my own house. I'm happy, but like, you know, life doesn't give any guarantees. Like, you know what I mean? I just try every day to do the right thing. Like, but I do have that bit of madness in me, and and you know you should never lose that madness but it can also go on the flip side like if you're out some night and you're too much drinking you might do something stupid and we're all human like but it's it's controlling the controllables as, as i say and you know especially with the likes of like social media especially twitter like it's such a scary place at the minute is all it takes is one one opinion that you probably should have kept to yourself and you put it online and you, you, you've undone everything you've ever worked for. And that's what I'm very cautious of with social media. And you know, the, the book, uh, the, the, the chapter in the book, social media, like my, my I suppose, lashing I got on, off trolls there a couple of years ago. But it again, it, it, made, it made me learn at the same time as well, you know, that, listen, you, you just have, you have to learn, like, and don't make the same mistake twice. Like, but... I think to do like what we've done, you, you kind of have to make mistakes. Like, do you know what I mean? You do like, and you have to learn from as best you can, but it took me a long time to learn from the mistakes. Hence the chapter in New York where I went over my best mate and I fucking went in the beer all week and had the two of the worst gigs ever. And the only one to blame was myself. Um, but you know, you're human at the end of the day, like, and there's that still that bit of madness in you, like that, that, that will always be there. And, and, I think you're blessed to have a bit of madness and never lose, as Robin Williams says. But like you said, you're only human, and every day you just have to try to do the right thing. You know what I mean? That's the way I look at it. Yeah, and that chapter book's very funny. Like I just had visions of you getting changed outside the front door in the, in the uh, snow, burying yeah. the suitcases in the backyard. Well, <laughs> it, it wasn't as bad burying the suitcases. It was having to find the fucking things under three foot of snow after the worst show of my life, hung over. Oh, it was just, even when I think about it, and then getting into the house and just, oh, yeah, I was. But again, but, you live and learn, like, you know. And just to go back, I think I think in addiction, I think for, for me in recovery, sometimes maybe to touch on what you said, sometimes you actually crave some of that chaos back because, you know, like in recovery, life is, you know, as you described, life is good. Probably it can be very settled. And I suppose in the times we're in at the moment, it's probably a little bit, more boring than what it usually could be. Like, you know, I was just off camera, we were saying, like, you know, just I'd love to meet up with lads in Carl and just go for a night out. Yeah. But I think part of me anyway, it sometimes misses or craves that chaos that would have been there in the addiction. Now, I've never gone back, luckily, to gambling, but I think part of me craves that sometimes, you know, sometimes things are too settled. And I think, I think that's what I think you were touching on as well. Yeah. And just since we were like, just, Talking about the gambling, I suppose what I picked up from the book, maybe I'm wrong, and, and again, it's just from working with clients, is that when you went to Australia, I know the gambling was probably there before then, 
But when you went to Australia, I think that I kind of got that um, that sense of being kind of lost over there and and not probably not wanting to be there. And it, it was like gambling kind of gave you um, a way of coping with that, maybe. Because I know I know working from some clients to say like sometimes when they go away from from their hometown, you know, it can be like you know as you were saying like um, playing GAA top of their game in school, not very popular and all that. But then they go to college and they get kind of lost and sometimes they kind of turn to gambling as a way of coping with 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 kind of that loneliness or that sense of maybe being not being connected. Um, would would that be true to say, or was yeah, I? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I think, I think you're right. Like, um, like when I, when I, like I'm an addict. Like you're an addict yourself. Like we're we're addictive personalities, and I often, when I for years taught an addict was a heroin addict. You're 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 a heroin addict, but an addict is anything from being addicted to anything in life, whether it be uh, negative or positive, like, you know, and addictive, like, again, with the book, the way I speak about my inhaler and my my teddy bear, et cetera, that kind of gave me a platform to be an addict. So, like, for me with gambling, it's, you just crave the fix, like, and and, and again, you you know more than I even do, is it's just that fix, that 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 little buzz, like that, that unknown whether you're going to win or not. And, like when when I when I went to Australia, uh, I got that redundancy off Quinn Direct, and we went to Las Vegas, and I spent a good bit of money in Las Vegas gambling. But I thought that this was, oh, this is what you're meant to do in Las Vegas, you know, which it is like, but like not the way I was doing. It. And then, you know, when when I went to Australia, you know, this this whole culture of you go to a casino after after drinking, like, and I, like I, I would have never done that here because. If I went into Bay and Astros, there's just no casino open, like you know what I mean. So, like, I think I just got like really engrossed into it then. And like you said, I wasn't enjoying myself in Australia. Like, and and for my opinion, like uh, homesickness, I honestly believe is a real thing because I remember one day I was out running, um. So this was maybe two or three weeks into settling. My my, my girlfriend had got a job at the time. I was still looking my brother-in-law my, my sister were off work and it was just me in the apartment all day and I felt so far away from home like because it was like middle of the night at home and it was the afternoon in Australia and I just I went for a run as I always do to try and clear my head but I actually stopped halfway around I just got puking and I didn't know what it was it was obviously fucking homesick genuinely ill from from missing home which people often say oh would you get a grip yourself here in Australia but for me I just, I was such attached to my hometown and I, I love, I just love that whole, like knowing people and chatting to people. It's just like I grew up in a housing estate and, and there's a shop in the middle of the housing estate and we hung around there and I just, it's the way I was reared. And like you said, addicts, you're addicted to your hometown. So then what happened was I used to go working on the sites and then I used to love going into the TABs there, the tabs, which you can have a point and a bet. And I loved that. And it was a sense of being at home. Like, you know what I mean? It was like, sitting there only my friends are there having a beer and, and and betting on the horses like so it was just constantly a fix like all the time like you said kind of leaning on that to make you feel a bit better but sure as you know how many times does it make you feel better very few like you know and um the way i would describe it, as you said with the book tonic i i definitely was not a heavy gambler inverted commas like you mad money on it was a drip a constant drip whether like people have to remember 20 euro to a man 
of you know 17 18 grand a year is 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 500 euro to man who's on 60 grand a year that's what people don't understand like like when i was betting there in a, in a crappy job in ireland i was putting 20 euro down but like on a horse whatever but like again i couldn't afford that you know that was but i need like i would rather go to, to work and eat my ham and cheese sandwiches while everyone else was getting a chicken filler out to have that 20 euro to put to bet on that evening and like I'm still a raving addict, like, but my my addiction now is Rory stories. Like people often say to me, How the fuck do you do you make so many videos all the time? It's because I'm just I'm I'm a gambler who's constantly on the on the like positive platform, I would call it. But it's positive for a lot of people because I'm making people laugh. But for me, it does bog me down. Like as we speak now, I'm on a kind of two-day social media break. What I do is I just delete my social media for a couple of days just to kind of reassess everything like because again like a gambler I, I need to make a video i need to make a video and my wife like you don't need to make a video you've made fucking one a day for the last six weeks i know but i mean people are expecting one i need to make one and tony that is it there's no difference in the feeling of i need to get a bet on i fucking have to put a bet in there i've got a tip for the horse my hook or my crook i need to get this bet on and everyone every round's like will you just fucking calm down no no i fucking need to get the bet on. it's the exact same so yeah. but, I, but i've learned from the gambling that you need to take a step back, right? Cool the jets here, delete the social media for a few days, reassess. If you have an idea, write it down, do it when you're back on. But that's the thing. I don't think you're ever cured. Tony, you can probably relate to that with stuff you do in life now where you still have that <laughs> in you, you know, you want to fix like. Definitely. And like, you know, and, and just to touch on what you said there, it, it's not like gambling. I think what I really took from the book and it's my experience of and what I really reiterate in my work as well, like gambling is not just a financial problem. It's it's all relative as you said. If you're 20 euro, if you're on social welfare, if you're on uh, low wage or whatever it is, it's how it impacts your mental health, how it impacts your relationships. And I think that's the bit. And yeah, I do definitely relate. For me, it's kind of... Um, there's still that compulsivity at time. Like you could tell me the name of a new band um, today and I'll want... I'll need to get all their albums. Like I might never have heard song. Just because you said they were good, I'd listen to one song and then I have to get all the albums. Yeah, and I would put myself under pressure, maybe money wise, or or I'll be ringing lads saying, "Can you download this or down?" And I'll I won't settle until I have it. And you know, like I've I've talked fairly openly about that. That like even during the COVID times, when there is a little bit of stress coming in, online shopping is something that has drifted in in various things. Like I was up at one o'clock in the morning there, and I, I ordered a New Ireland jersey. Now I yeah. bought two jerseys there, um, a retro one when Jack Charlton died. And also a Jack Charlton replica one. Two of them are still in the wardrobe, haven't been take, haven't been worn, yeah. but yet I felt the need to buy the new one that's out. So there is still that in me. So it's something, as you said, that I work on a lot. Um, I don't always get it right, but it's not back to the gambling, but it's still something I had to really keep an eye on. And I talked to my partner about it, and I talked to my supervisor about it, and I talked to Barry about because it, it's just about keeping that um that old head is still there. It's yeah. still there. A client once described it as he described it brilliantly. He said it's like um it's like a volcano, it's just it's it's lying dormant within you and it's just it's ready to bubble at any stage. Yeah, yeah. Come out in many different ways so it can. And just to go back to, to the gambling side of it, um I suppose the one chapter in the book that really or the one section of the book, not chapter, that really resonated with me was that time in Dublin, um, where you're out with your friends and then you kind of left it early to you had you know, you took 200, 250 euro out of the bank and you had that need or that want to go gambling. You couldn't even, um, I suppose you couldn't even sit and have the few drinks. You had to get yeah. that bet. And um, now it really, that reminded me of my stag party. Um, you know, like 20 lads come down to Wexford with me for the stag party and they didn't see me for the full day. I was in the bookies from, yeah. you know, 
it was only the day afterwards when I only had about 50 or left and we were all had to crack the following day but it was only when the money was gone only for the amount you know lads were buying you drink or whatever but it was that thing that like even on that day or that night I was and you described as lads you hadn't probably seen in a while and you can't even step back it even for that few moments you have to have that bet and I think that was the start of the again maybe just go through just go through that story for people who are listening because I think that's the that's um that's the kind of start of your journey of recovery. Yeah, so um God, it, it's funny just hearing you say all that because like most people in the game can relate to it. and like for me, like um say if you're out with the lads and as you know yourself, the older you get, you don't have as much time to have with the lads because of of, of, of girlfriends and kids or whatever. But when you are it's special. But what what looking back now, I remember there's a bookies like most my like most pubs next door and I'd be out with the lads on a Saturday and I'd be out before I, I want to catch up with your lads. I want to have the crack. And, and they'd all be betting, like, you know, betting is a massive, like, um, I suppose it's a hobby, if you want to call it, among, among lads. Like, it's just what we do. Oh, yeah, put a fiber. But we were all doing that. Um, and we were out, say, for, for a leopard sound or whatever it may be. And we were betting away. And everyone was in the zone of, hey, will you go in and put 20 miles of you down in and out of books and drink a pint of okay. But then come five o'clock, the, the, the race was finished and the lads, you know, were finished with gambling and, and they were chatting away. But I was still tipping in maybe to bet on virtual or Dundalk. And I remember sitting in there and before I knew it, like uh, a half an hour had passed and I was still in there like jumping from dog to a thing. And, and then I'd go in after losing and say another 50 or 100 euro and be pissed off myself. And the lads would like, oh, did you hear that story of John? Oh, he's a gas fucker. And I'd be like, well, what did he say? Oh, no, you should have been here. And like, you know, you, you'd get a moment to yourself going, what are you doing? Like, do you know what I mean? And when I met Jerry Cooney that time, about, if, from the Rutlands, I told him, I just don't want that. I don't want that anymore in my life. I want to be able to go in and, and have a drink, lads, and not look at the race or whatever. So that's kind of the end of the story. So as I said, to bring you back for me, which was what I call the, de- the, the rock bottom in the book, was the, the club had lost the county championship match uh, on the... It was the Thursday, Thursday and Friday, and uh, we lost and knocked out. And I didn't play well. And like I said before, that was my only thing that I enjoyed to do was playing football. And I was, you know, reasonable at it. Like you know, we'd won, we'd won a few medals or whatever. And um, the next day, I I ended up going on the beer in town all day with a good friend of mine, Owen Riley, and in and out of bookies. And I even every time I, I even know the bookies, it's it's at. There's a a pub called the Palace Bar. People know at the very end of um, Grafton Street. There's, a, there's a, a, a pub there, and I think there's like a boil sports or something beside it. But that's where the, the, the day was in there, drinking pints into the bullet. And you know yourself, Tony, it just wasn't my day. Like, I I could put on, you know, four bets and then they'd all lose, and then I'd get a loan of a 20, and that would win and get me back. And then I'd lose the next seven in a row, and just all this kind of. But anyway, lost lost enough money and met the lads that night. They were all drinking. Um, in a, in, a, in a nightclub and a friend of mine who was home from England was like buying drink for everyone like you know as you said I should have been gambling should have been the last thing on my mind but it wasn't like it's all I was thinking about was I want to go back to the casino where's the nearest casino I want my money back and I'd be chatting away to lads but I wouldn't give a shit what they had to say I wasn't even listening to them I was oh, yeah 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 gone. everyone's gone yeah until like these are my these are my very good friends. You think I would have turned around to listen? I'd, I think I have a gambling problem. Like I really want to go back to the casino after already losing a few hundred euro. And they're like, "Oh, really?" But never would you say that, Tony. You know yourself. You just wouldn't say it. So, 
Anyway, I made up some fob excuse that I was tired and drunk and going home, but I beeline for the casino. I think it was two hundred euros last in my in my ATM machine, and I took it out and I went in straight. I like I wasn't in the humor of any of this fiver shite and it. I went straight in roulette. The quickest fix you could possibly get is roulette. Went in, boom, hundred euro in red. Sat there, watched the bobble black. Oh, boom, hundred euro black. Watched the bobble into red, uh, and just seeing him take me chips away. And I never forget. I, I walked through the casino with this kind of out of body experience. My mind was just like numb and i'd realized that you're, this is this is as low as you're gonna get and i walked outside the casino and, and it was actually it was like a film it was lashing rain and the rain was coming down to me and i'd not i'd not even a euro to get home in a taxi and suicide was very strong in my head because i i accepted that the teachers were right in school you'll never amount to anything. your 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 uses you have a young child at home who depends on you you have a shite job. You don't even ha- you don't even have any college degree. You have fucking nothing going for you. You're just useless. And the, the pressure was ringing in my ears. And just two things popped into my mind. One was when I was 16, uh, my cousin took his life. And I still remember the ripple effect of that. And I always swore that I'd never, you know, go to that level. I need to ask for help. And I was at uh, Shane McAnee's funeral um, the previous Christmas. And he took his life as well. And his brother Jerry spoke about if anyone has any, you know, demons, please talk about them. And it just proves that awareness around mental health does work with people because it worked for me. That's what I thought of. And I rang my girlfriend and I was crying and she said, come home. And thankfully the taxi man didn't ask for the money to leave at home. My girlfriend paid the 50 euro. And um, I just lied in the couch and, and next morning she came down, what the hell is wrong with you? And like every man, I'm grand. I had too much to drink. Don't worry about me. Till eventually, Tony, I just said, stop fucking running away from it, will you? Don't just be a man for your life and accept that you have a problem. And I just put my hand in the air and said, I'm not happy. I'm depressed. I, I really feel low all the time. And the only thing that was giving me a little bit of fix was the gambling to try and make myself feel better. But I was only digging a bigger hole. And my father came down and he didn't really, you know, he didn't really understand and realize this was going on. But And then again, we we met with I would have known Jerry Cooney from football and, and Andy McAnee, the main manager, um a great man in the book as well, as you know, like he was great for me as well. He he got me in contact with Jerry. I met Jerry and I said like you said to you, I had that conversation. I said, Jerry, I just want to stop gambling. I don't wanna be I don't wanna go out for a drink. I don't wanna I just don't want I, I want to be a person who doesn't bet. Sorry, don't bet, lads. I just you know, I might the very most I'll ever do is is a fiver with me out lad on the golf course. That's about as much as I give my fix. Like just just because I'm competitive. But yet generally we might do two or three golf balls. Just something to because I'm competitive. But after that, you know, no interest. And um like like I said in the book, Jerry, Jerry just gave me the very simple analogy. He said, you know, you're an addict, like you know, you're you obviously enjoy certain things and negative and positive platform. And he said the negative is obviously gambling, drugs, alcohol. That will make you feel really good very quickly, but then just bring you down to earth. And people have been struggling f- with that platform for a long time. And he said, he said, the positive platform, you know, he said, find something you're interested in because with, with a gambler, you have to fill the void. Like, and he made a great example. Like if you have a, a hole in the ground and it's full of water and you take the water out of the hole, you, you can't just leave the hole empty. You have to fill the void. Because if you're sitting at home going, right, Paddy Power deleted. Oil sports bleed, uh, not going to gamble again. I'm going to sit down now and I'm going to watch this match. And straight away, you're all thinking, it's like, I have to get 10 on first goal score. There's no point watching this match here because I've no interest unless I have a bet on. So 
basically you need to just fill the void. So I stopped watching sports for a few weeks, went off with my girlfriend on a Sunday, done different things just to try and break that connection. And then, long and behold, I found rolling stories. Like, because I, I, I said to myself, listen, the call center job is always going to be there for you. You're, you're, you're a bit of a character. And let's just see what a, what a man with an addictive personality can do on a positive platform. And in 2013, I wrote rolling stories on a piece of paper. Um, and I suppose the rest is history now at this stage. You know what I mean? It's It's been a very yeah. success, successful um, journey today. And, and, you know, like any addict, like I'm never going to slow down. Like, you know, that my biggest problem is taking the two or the two or three days off because I'm, I am that addict. But listen, it's, it's, it's all positive, really, I suppose. Yeah. And the good thing is, though, you have the awareness to do that and slow the head down every so often. Like, you know, like I just went through the numbers 70,000 on Inst- or on uh, Twitter, 250,000 on Instagram, nearly 600,000 on Facebook. It's after, it's definitely after filling that void and after getting huge. And it was, it's i thought it was a lovely part of the story that you know you're able to to follow that dream and it, you know it wasn't easy because i know that a lot of the old um self-beliefs or thoughts that i'm not good enough kept coming up throughout your journey you described new york you described some other in you know in the early stages of the gaa clubs where you know i think, oh, yeah. one, I think one fella came in and, and squared up to you in the toilet at one stage saying yeah yeah so like it hasn't been an easy journey but but I think that's what makes you appreciate the highs like Ficker Street. I thought it was a lovely chapter, the very last one. Um, I thought it makes you appreciate the highs that little bit more. And I suppose one thing that really kind of another story that really resonated with me and it was that um, I think this is, was an important thing to to kind of for me as well uh, in my recovery is when you were going for one of the interviews and it wasn't going well and suddenly you just said, listen, I've been on the beer all weekend. Going well, um, I was we won the county final or whatever it was, and I'm after you know this is and and the person kind of was a GAA woman, but she kind of did. I think it was the honesty resonated as much as anything else. Now I've gone into um, interviews after the the conviction, so I'm going into an interview. There's a definite gap of a couple of years in the CV. There's um, you know you're you're looking at being the branch manager of on post, and now you're 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 working in kind of counselling and and you're going for jobs, and and that was a difficult. Um, it's difficult to get back on your feet, I suppose, you know, when addiction is there, like you have to look after your mental health and all that. But I, I remember just going into interviews and um, just saying, this is it. And this, and it was always in the, the evening that and I said, by the way, I have a criminal conviction. This is what happened. You may or may not have heard of the story, but this is what happened. And the amount of people, you can see the change, like they really, really appreciate the honesty and really, you know, because a lot of people are gambling when they're in recovery, don't want to show that side of it like you've very publicly come out and used your platform a very big platform to talk about mental health but people are nearly afraid of it like we're still I, I looked at I, I got through most of the video you done with uh Philip McMahon um for Easton's and Gill and you talked very openly around, around kind of addiction and stuff like that but it's for me it's um that ability to be honest with yourself and honest with other people is a huge part of the recovery and that's what really came true for me in, in the book because we spoke earlier on about social media and I know you you, you, you mentioned that chapter in the, uh, that chapter in the book where you had you know you had a bad experience with but in general you are right Twitter and the likes of it can be it can be a very volatile place and I found that as well when I told the story very publicly people will come out and people will attack you for mm. you know saying you're a thief you're only a scumbag you're this you're that and that's fine but it does it does impact you but I suppose from coming through um addiction and coming through the far side and building up that resilience and probably finding that confidence as you did 
with Rory's stories and maybe as I did in other ways, it kind of makes you that a little bit stronger to kind of be able to deal with those um, those really negative times when they come. Because I like that, that that was really one chapter in the book that really kind of, it was like it, it came from left field for something that was very, you know, that it was meant one way, but, you know, people can take different different things from it. But I think like, that's the one thing I kind of wrote down. Um, I wrote it on there, on like about social media. It's just been totally volatile, and that's as you said in the book. That's your that's given you everything you have, but also can take away everything. So sometimes the vulnerability can be, you know, or, or when you're kind of working through your kind of vulnerabilities or your, you know, those inner beliefs that do come up every so often. If you have a bad gig or if you have a bad day, like the old thoughts come flushing back in. Like you know, yeah. I'm not good, you're, you're only useless. This and I, I get that a lot. I could have a bad session with a client and kind of saying, you're an imposter here, you're useless to what you do, and you're really yeah, yeah, yeah. back into that form herself. So I suppose it's it's I, I think what I kind of got from the book as well is that you really built up that I think being out on the road and having the bad experiences in the early the early days of Rory Stories really built up that resilience and that mental strength to be able to deal with probably the, not the fallout, but the, the impact that being successful will have, because you will have your haters, you will have people who just want to knock you down because you're doing well. It's a, it's a kind of a, sometimes it can be a bit of an Irish trait to kind of be begrudging a little bit. Yeah, probably got lambasted for saying that myself, but it can be that. But I think from going through what you went through, I think it's really stood you in really good stead to be able to to deal with whatever comes your way. Yeah, like and 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 that's the point. Um you know there's a lot of uh like when, when we sat down to doing a book like because <clears throat> how it came about was i had already done two kind of um comedy books with gil and they were both very successful i both sold a lot of copies of ever but <clears throat> they came to me looking to do a third one but i didn't have the i didn't have the stomach to do another funny one i just felt that now is the time to tell my story like you know I, because it, as you said it ended in, in a full house in vicar street after all the highs and lows of everything i just felt it was so when we sat down the key pillars where one was the education which obviously is a lot in the book then we spoke about obviously gambling and and, and addiction about understanding your own mental health and then about about i suppose about um about chasing the dream because like again going back to being from ireland there's not too many of them kind of throwing yourself out there stories and when i was failing miserably on stage or i might do a few bad videos in a row or I might get a bad tweet. I, I kept saying, Rory, you need to be one of the people that just fucking plow through this. Like, you need to basically take it for the team so that you can have the story to tell to the young people that might have shied away at level one, two, three, or four of the journey. Like, do you know what I mean? But, like, that's what I, 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 I want to tell young kids is that, listen, it is very possible, but just be ready for a little bit of abuse and a little bit of... um little bit of arm wrestling with yourself up in the head like you know and obviously you talk a lot about bad demons which i do but there's sometimes where you just have to swallow the pill and just realize you made a mistake learn and move on but don't put up the white flag don't let anyone else like make you put up the white flag because that's something i have learned is that you'd like to think people are really happy for you but some people just aren't and it's a trait that's in people and it's a it's a nasty trait but you, you know, we're all human at the end of the day. And I believe, I don't know why we're wired towards negative rather than positive. And a, a perfect example I gave in the book is if you played a match and you went back to the, to the clubhouse and, and nine lads said, Jesus, you had a whore of a game, Rory. Oh, you were outstanding. Oh, you kicked 10 points. 
Never seen you play as well. Only for you, we would have been better. When you walk into the Thailand, one lad turns around and goes, James, I thought you were useless. You should have scored that free at the end. Who do you think about all evening? That one owl lad, you know, and that's what I've learned to live with. It's like when you're, I don't scroll as much as I used to via comments because there's probably so many now, but at the early days you would. And they'd be like, oh, Rory, very funny. Event. Then one or two lads might say, you're not funny, you're an arsehole. And who do I think about for the rest of the evening? Them, like. And that's something, as you said, Tony, I've learned over time, like to deal with that um, and, and, and and just have a bit of a thick neck. Um, but but that, that onslaught in 2018, it's only been two years, but looking back, it's probably one of the best things that happened to me. It gave me an early, like, as in like, I didn't do anything too stupid where I couldn't recover, if you get me, like, where yeah. this was something that, I felt I didn't know anything wrong, but it just, as you said, people take it out of context and blow it up. And people who already hated you just have a little bit of of of, of a hurl to smack you in the arse with, and 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 they use it repeatedly. And 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 I'm I'm kind of thankful that that was my 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 main my slip up because it wasn't something like really bad. I tweeted an awful opinion or something, and you could never recover. But thankfully, I didn't. But I know now to respect social media and. And, and and genuinely, it's not a place to give your opinion on. I don't believe. Anyway, I just don't. I better throw it into a lad's WhatsApp group or ring it, but don't. Because once you put it on Twitter, like, you know, it's just, again, when you, when you have a profile, it just takes one person to retweet it with a different perspective, and then you're just going to have to delete. I've often had to delete my Twitter for two or three days when I've got a bit of a storm because who wants to be looking at arseholes having dig at you? We're only human, like, do you know what I mean? I, some people get a kick out, out responding to them. I don't get any kick at all, Tony. I just ignore them. Like, I've no interest in, in, in talking to these agents, you know? Yeah, same as I think, you know, like, I think probably to go against the compulsivity that goes with the gambling that need to say something or, or come back with something, I think I've had to bite my tongue numerous occasions. And there is times when you do read the negativity, you kind of go, because like it took a lot for me to put the story out there because you know i have to think of my daughter reading it in, in years oh. to come i know and she she found a copy of the book i think in some in one of her friends mom's bedrooms there a while ago and she asked me about it and i said like i was very open and said yeah i did write a book but she said no you didn't so you could hear you could hear the kind of the confusion yeah so and like it's moments like that you kind of go why did i put it out there because i know mine my story was kind of out there already but like why did i have to re-put it out there again and you kind of, you always, I think for me, I always have to come back to that, looking at why have I done this? Why am I doing this? And it's to try to create awareness. It's to try to, you know, maybe if a couple of people who have, um, you know, have had problems with gambling might might kind of pull back or not not follow the same route I did. And I think very much the same with yourself with your mental health talks. It's kind of like, um, you know, if someone gets something from it and not make the same mistakes, well, then you know that you're after making some kind of difference. And I've got enough emails and positive stuff over the years to make it worthwhile, but it doesn't, it, it is some of them dark days that come in when you kind of, you'd get that negative comment, you kind of go, why did I do this? You know, yeah, why, yeah. Why, why didn't I just kind of get a different type of job and not go into this whole area? But then you have to um, believe that, you know, your story may make a difference at some stage. And like, I, I believe after like, you know, I wouldn't have known a lot of that side of your story before I read the book of the weekend. You know, I, I know we met um in Dublin. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I guess you talk about being starstruck seeing Paul O'Connell at the time. I kind of went in and went, Jesus, I, I think I called the hello Rory stories. And I kind of went, <laughs> and said, you don't even know if his name is Rory. You know what I mean? Just went, so like, and I think it's very important to get those type of messages out there. And I think, I think for me, that's, 
that's the kind of I always have this mantra of what good thing will come of this. It was, it was a quote that I read from a um, a book when I was in prison, and it was kind of I always look at what good will come out of any of the bad situations I've been through. And I, like I, I truly believe from reading that, from your reading your particular book, I think you know you can you can look at the Tony Tens books or the you know the, even Doshi McConville's book, and it kind of it is that story of a person who's gone you know nearly fully off the cliff. But I think stories like yours where it it shows that. You don't have to go the whole yeah. tilt. Like it is, it shows that the vulnerability is driving this, or the, you know, the the insecurities are not fitting in. Is the stuff that's driving that need to gamble or other things? It could be alcohol, it could be drugs, it could be whatever it is. I think they're the stories that need to be told, and I think that's why I thought it was great last week there or the week before when Today FM picked up on your story and actually got Professor Colin O'Gara in talking about because the more people have talked about, not on a level like is Tony Ten. Like that's the that's the far end of the scale. We need the stories like the ones that you know you yeah. share. Yeah. yeah, really tackle this huge problem. And you talked about um, uh, when you were chatting to Philly McMahon, you talked about um, social media and and internet addiction, and you know gaming is coming behind that as well. And one of the comments you made in it said you were at a party once and you had an e tablet on the end of your finger, and part of you stopped that I don't want to be one of the people who may become addicted yeah. to this. And I don't think we're looking at gambling or gaming or social media in the same life. Like, you know, our same life. We look at drugs. I don't want to be the person who gets hooked to drugs because we all know that heroin or cocaine is highly addictive. Yeah. But I don't think we're talking about that enough within social media, gaming, or and even gambling at this stage. Because, you know, um, what would your thoughts be on that? Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. And, like, again, it goes back to my... um my passion to do the book now and not wait for like any like who writes an autobiography when they're 33 like no one but i just felt that now's the time to tell this story because when i'm 63 it could be a fucking <laughs> a whole different <laughs> it could be a whole different story but like the book is for as you said it's it's young people that like not everyone you know has to get to your level tony or russian's level where you know you fucking probably went a step or two too far with the addiction and now you have to kind of you know, reel it back in and 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 do your time or whatever it may be, pay your debts back, whatever, etc. So, because of your yourself and Ocean and these people that, that that brought out the stories, it's kind of like that was in the back of my head when I was constantly dripping away, going, "You can get to that level, but I don't want to get to that level," and that's why I want to mainly the young people, you know, who are like you know, 16, 17, oh, it's only a fiver, sure, what's a fiver? Yeah, but what's a fiver? What if when you're on 60 grand a year, what's what's 500 euro? It's the same thing. And if you have a gang of eight lads who hang around with each other, at least one, probably two of them are, are going to be addicted to it. And they're the, the people I want to kind of, you know, hand the book and say, listen, learn off my mistake. If, if you can go to Chatham, enjoy yourself, you know, put one bet on on a Saturday for soccer. Well, fair play to you, and I'm I'm jealous of you. I really am. But if you're the fella that needs to go in after betting all day at the races and back wonky donkey in the steeple downs virtual and put fifty euro on him, well then you need to reel yourself in. And that's why why I, I was so honest in that because I like I feel that addiction, whether it be to gaming and then your nail on that 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 all them what they call them uh, games that are real popular now on the PlayStation, they're all mad addicted to. Um, Fortnite. Yeah, 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 but basically both of them. So what I, what I really um, am passionate about is 
these young people who are spending all their time addicted to this game are never going to re release their potential. They have the potential to be the next Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, the next, you know, the next best ever GA player, the next best guitarist, the best golfer, the best singer, the best accountant, whatever. But they're spending all their time betting to these things, and 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 when they get older, like they'll either have their their addictive per like a lot more um, young people are gonna have the addictive personality than when we were younger because, as you said, of this constant gaming. But how many people are gonna end up in the negative and positive platform? That's what I'm worried about, and I would say the negative is gonna outweigh the positive a hell of a lot because once you get in, as you said, to the drugs, where if you take your gaming addiction and you start gambling start taking cocaine at the weekend, you're in a world of shit, you know what I mean? Like, And it's trying to let young people understand how vital um, addictions can be, like both from a positive and negative. And that's what I want them to take from the book is that, Jesus, Rory, Rory was only putting fivers on and, and then he, he, you know, he was suicidal. So I need to kind of address this, you know what I mean? And that's kind of what it's all about, Tony, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think that's a, that's the, a huge aspect of the book that I found that, that part of the stories need to be definitely told. It's not just about the big money. It's about how, how it impacts. And I suppose, like, you know, it, it, it did help you in, in in your journey to become who you are today. You know, you've worked extremely hard to become successful in your work. Um, and I think the last chapter in the book, I think, like, I was, like, I, you know, I'm not ashamed to say because I'm, I'm very open with my feelings. Most. I had tears in my eyes reading it because you, you, you described you know, that story about your dad um, being there and kind of, you know, like, it was like that kind of, you know what, son, I'm proud or you've you've done good here and probably maybe questioned your decisions to go full-time at it and questioned yourself, why aren't you just doing that nine-to-five job? I thought it was a lovely way to end the book because you have, you know, you have the struggles at the start, you have even the struggles to get to where you want to get to and even when you're there, there's struggles, but then it was like that moment of I've arrived here, I've, you know, I've made it. I thought it was a lovely. I thought it was a lovely way to kind of round up, which which I thought was a really, really brilliant, brilliant read. Yeah, it's funny. Like you're 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 very similar. Self. I've no problem saying and call it what you want. But even now, like and you know what you've done your book. How many times you have to pre-read and uh, pre-read and you'd be a pain in the hole reading the book yourself to try and make sure. But even now, I could pick up that last chapter and I know the part you're talking about when I walked off stage in Vicar Street and my dad was there and Tony was there. Even I get emotional reading it now, like a hundred times later. Why do I? Because I know what when I was going through them horrible times where I was asked for money back at gigs, I was, you know, booed off stage type of thing and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And that's why, you know, it's no more than you're reading your story and, and seeing where you are now and you're, in, you know, you, you've done your time, you learned your lesson, now you're helping people. And it's a very emotional thing when, you've been in a low place and then, you know, I'm reading this here going, you know, closing my eyes and picturing driving home from the North after people saying that it was the worst comedy show they've ever seen and asked for my money back and told me to fucking never come back up to this clubhouse again type of thing. And, but you know, to read that six or five years later, like it, it makes me emotional to be honest with you. And, and, and that's, that's the God honest truth. Like, because you connect to that kind of maybe the inner child with a fall on that dream and, and, and getting there in the end. And I think that's, that can be a huge thing, I think. And like, even when, when we had the documentary last year or the year before on, on, on Fene with TG Carr, I watched it again. We watched it before it was aired and I watched it with my dad and Niall, my best friend. And like, we were all in bits watching it. And then we watched it in the night in the, in Scraggs in the pub the night it was on the telly. 
and we were in bits again watching it. And like we we had actually I lived the story. It was eight eight years from the story. Um, I'd done the interview. I'd watched it twice, but yet I was still um in bits watching it. And even sometimes when I shared shared a story. There's a part of it, you know, you talk about how my mom didn't get to see, you know, me turning back my life around. And, you know, you reconnect back to that feeling of that guilt or of letting people down. But then you kind of have to really bring yourself back and say, you know, what I'm doing is is worthwhile. It is making a difference. Uh, not, and some people will disagree. Some people will have their opinions. That's OK. But I think the most important person that I have to really look out for is me within all of this. And then my daughter and my relationships and my family. And I don't always get it right, as you said, but by and large, even having come through this addiction or come through this part of my life, I'm in a much better space. And that's that's the overwhelming feeling I got from reading the book. And I think that's the bit I connected with was to read the struggles, to read the knockbacks, to really get that sense of, um, you know, the struggles you had in the various jobs of not, you know, just sitting there kind of going, um, you know, yeah. is this my life? And then kind of knowing that there was something bigger and better out there for you. Yeah. But then to have the balls to kind of go and follow that dream by, you know, giving up the job a couple of years ago and, and actually following that dream, you know, that's testament to the person you've become or to the drive that's in you. Look, Niall will always say that I'm one of the most driven person people he knows. I don't know if that's particularly true, but um, it's that he said that he doesn't know if, if he'd be able to come back from what I came back from. But And it's a bit probably, I don't get, you know, we don't give ourselves enough credit for, I think, sometimes is that we've we've been in the the darkest hours we've been there where we thought that the the better way or the easier way would be to end it all and you've yeah. had your reasons not, not my reasons for not doing it but it's also that thing of, i think that's what you connect with that feeling of you know what i'm okay here now and things are good but i've had to go through that really hellish place to get there and i think it's that connection to that i think really makes a big difference yeah yeah no 100 percent. and what people need to know as well as like for me anyway the demons don't go away all the time like you know i still I, I still get them a bit, you know what I mean? Even last couple of days, to be honest with you, I haven't been great, hence why they break from social media, you know what I mean? But as you said, I'm in a much better position now to handle them than I was because I just, I do the opposite to what I do now. Like I go, I, I up the gambling more, if you get me, or I drink more rather than now I'm taking a step back, you know what I mean? Go off the beer, don't drink for a week or whatever, exercise plenty and, yeah, like I just understand my own mental health a lot more, um, and it all comes down to seeing that really low place and and coming back from there, and uh, yeah, just doing anything that you can control to make sure you don't go there again. I think that's the key, you know. Yeah, and being open and honest and talking about, it. and it sounds like you've a really good network of support around you to be able to kind of. I know you talked about your age and being a big part of that, and Emma. Yeah. And, you know, the two kids are obviously a big part of that. And the third one coming would probably give you the more sleepless nights. But it's all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, life should be. It's supposed to be enjoying these moments. And I think at times, it's, 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 I think we forget that. I think we. I think a lot of us do forget even these times we're in just to kind of, I think we said off air, like, you know, it's it's not great out there. But it's for me, it's a lot better than what it was when I was gambling. And I'm sure you, you probably yeah. echo that sentiment as well. Yeah. That's Brilliant, Rory. Thanks a million again for, for chatting to us. I don't know whether Barry wants to come in and have a say a last word. He was gone off camera there for a while. So I was just I saving, saving the bandwidth just in case we had some horrible technical oh, yeah. problem. Now, but I was tuned in, loving every minute of it. Thanks a million, Rory, for that. Like, and like, yeah, a couple of the points you made there, especially the big one that you don't have to go to, say, the level that Tony went or the level that. Usher McConville or Niall McNamee, who I had on the other week, it doesn't have to be getting yourself into serious, severe financial difficulty before 
you start thinking about your gambling and your relationship mm-hmm. with gambling or stopping gambling or, you know, cutting back or talking to somebody about it. Like you can do it much earlier in the day and not, I think Niall McNamee was saying it the, the other day, you know, he, he ended up 200,000 in debt when he was 24, 25, like in nine years later, he's still paying off some of that debt. So you don't have to get to that place. It's much healthier for you and for the people around you to put your hand up and look for help earlier in that process and i think that's the the big thing that i'm taking away from your story uh and i'm really looking forward to reading the book where can people get rory's story and put it in stockings for christmas yeah so the deals are anywhere but obviously with shops now but like bookstation easton's online uh amazon any of them uh, yeah any of the online bookstores will have them like yeah so um like i said hopefully people read it you know and in a couple of years' time, a bit like Tony's like, they might say, listen, Rory, I read your book a year or two ago and I I'd start, I haven't gambled in two years or I haven't done a drug in two years, whatever. And then, as Tony says, that's worth all the, the worry. Like, I was I was very nervous, the book coming out, because the first two books were all about laughing and crack, where this was me just completely, um, you know, opening up myself. Like, everyone knows everything about me now, like, in, in the modern time. That's the scary thing about these memoirs. It's like, you go down the street and have, oh, there's man rolling stories. But now in about a year or whenever, six months' time, it's going to be, I know everything about that fella. Do you know what I mean? And it's, it is a taunting thing, but I'm doing it because I feel it'll benefit others. That's genuinely from the heart. That's why I, I'm kind of willing to have myself out there so that people can say, well, I learned off him and, you know, I'm here today, as they say, because it's all about being here tomorrow. We don't want any suicides. That's the, that's the big thing, you know? That is the biggest thing, yeah. And I suppose that's the other one that's, has come up and came up with our guest Jamie last week as well. Like, if you are having suicidal thoughts, please talk to someone. The Samaritans are there 24 7. PA the House helpline is 24 7. Talk to a friend, talk to a family member, talk to somebody, you know, some mentor, or somebody that's important to you in your life, but don't keep it all bottled up. Tony, anything else for Rory before we finish up? Well, again, just thanks a million for going on. It was, it was, it was one of the most excited I was about having a guest on. Um, again, having met you just briefly at, in Dublin last year, um, and have, having, as I said, having read the book and felt like you were sitting beside me on the couch telling me the story, I felt like I, 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 I did get a huge insight into Rory, the person. And I know if I met you on the street, I'd be very proud to shake your hand in the same way as a lot of the people in the book grab you and shake your hand and, and kind of because I connect with so much in the story, and I think so many people will connect to different parts of that, and it will really help a lot of people in loads of different ways. Plus, there's a few funny stories in it as well, but I was going yeah. to tell one, but maybe we'll leave that for another day. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, I pre- appreciate that and the feelings mutual anyway. So um, I appreciate that. It's the best of luck with the remainder of the podcast anyway. Thanks a million, Rory. And that, and again, Rory's story available in all, I suppose, online bookshops at the moment and real bookshops whenever we get out of this goddamn lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure you got a copy. Listen, thanks a million, Rory. Take care, man. Cheers, lads. Thank you. Thanks. Rory. If you would like to support this podcast, as well as our frontline treatment, prevention and helpline services, please consider donating €5 per month using the link in the episode description. Thank you.